Welcome to the Torah Journey Podcast. My name is Rabbi Ken Brodkin, and I've been a community rabbi for over 15 years. During that time, I've learned that the wisdom of Judaism is powerful, but it's not always easy to understand. Our weekly podcast will enrich your journey and give you practical advice about how to apply the wisdom of Judaism to your life. We'll offer you insights based on the Parsha, current events, the Jewish year, and more. This is the Torah Journey Podcast. Hey, it's great to be back with you. I was thinking to myself that this past summer I was walking one day along the Oregon coast and someone must have noticed me, saw that I was Jewish, it's not hard to figure out, and they started to call out Shalom and some other Hebrew words and we got to talking. It turns out this individual was the pastor of a a large church in a Midwest city visiting us here in Oregon. And as we began talking about various things that we have in common, a familiar feeling arose within me. People might say that we're similar. We're both spiritual people, leaders of religious congregations. And yet, as I'm looking at my kids and his children together in this beautiful spot, I feel like there's this difference that's hard to express. The Jewish people, who we are, it's so unique. And as I'm recording this morning, it's actually December 24th, and tomorrow, in fact, is both the 25th of December, as well as Asara B'Tavit, the 10th of the month of Tevet, two dates that mean very different things. Now, personally, growing up as a Jewish kid in Massachusetts, the 25th of December was a date that I knew I was Jewish. While most kids were celebrating Christmas, my parents took us skiing up in Vermont. Now, this year, the coinciding of 25 December and the fast of Yud Tevet, is a moment of palpable difference between us Jews and the society around us. In modern America, the holiday of Christmas has become secularized and even commercialized, and yet it remains a deeply religious holiday for many millions, if not billions of people in the United States and around the globe. And on this very date, we Jews will be engaged in the fast of Asara B'Tavit, the 10th of Tevet. One of the things that we grapple with as Jews is that we look at ourselves through the eyes of the culture around us. It's sort of like when people say that Hanukkah is the Jewish version of Christmas. The world is naturally filled with different religions and spiritual movements. People want to relate to a deeper, transcendental part of the world. For many religions, faith, belief, and prayer seem to be at the heart of their practice. Or we see spirituality as a Zen moment or a meditation achieved during yoga. For the Jewish people, belief in God is a foundation of Torah. It's it's the first of the Aseris Adibros, the first of the Ten Commandments. Tefillah, prayer, is also foundational in Torah. And these seem like typical spiritual pursuits. And yet, there's something more to the Jewish experience that's often lost in us. It's It's a spiritual experience that we need to touch upon as we discover what it means to be Jewish. And in today's podcast, I'd like to explore this with you. What is the unique spirit that defines us as Jews? With 10 Tevet upon us, our rabbis recall calamities that occurred during this month of Tevet. The calamity of the 10th was the breaching of the walls of Jerusalem, marking the beginning of the end of the Bayat Rishon, the first temple. But our rabbis note other calamities in this month, such as the death of Ezra. And in addition, it was right before the 10th of Tevet 
that the Torah was translated into Greek during the rule of Yavan, Greece, a travesty in the eyes of our rabbis. But hold on a second. What's wrong with translating the Torah into another language? I mean, we read the Torah in English and other languages all the time. Well, let's back up. Why did Greece want to translate the Torah in the first place? And I think that in their mission to conquer, the Greeks took other systems of wisdom under their umbrella. They saw this Jewish people and wanted to take us in, in a manner of speaking. But translating Judaism into Greek gets back to that old issue. Looking at Judaism through the eyes of another language, the Greeks were conquerors and their language reflected their values. The Jewish people, on the other hand, are a people of a brit, a covenant. And the words of the Torah are themselves called a bris, a covenant, connecting us with a higher realm. Why did the rabbis see this first translation of the Torah as a calamity? The answer is that the translation into a new language meant that we Jews were potentially looking at the Torah through Greek eyes and values, sort of like an academic pursuit. When we read the Torah in Greek, we may misunderstand ourselves. And so as we reflect on this, we have to remember there's a unique spiritual heart of the Jewish people. Prayer is a common mode of spirituality. It's about speaking to God. But as Jews, we also listen. Shema Yisrael, hear O Israel. Shimu Devar Hashem, listen to the word of God. Just as God spoke to prophets, we still hear the word of God until this very day. Moshe Rabbeinu was a prophet who received the Torah, but there were prophets before and after him. And the Midrash teaches us that the Torah is the spiritual blueprint of the universe. Histakel ba'oraisa, ubara alma. God looked into the Torah and he created the world. In light of this, we can understand our rabbi's perspective that the avot, the patriarchs, were engaged in the word of God in the Torah even prior to the event of Harsinai. The Rambam writes that Avraham made the first base midrash, the first study hall, with his son Yitzchak. Yaakov learned in the base midrash of Shem and Aver. And then Levi continued the base midrash, the, the study hall in Mitzrayim, and it continued until every generation, even until our times. And so the Avos were patriarchs who were connected to the word of God prior to the formal Torah being given at Sinai. And this idea alluded to in many places is actually buried in a Rashi and Arparsha in Vayigash. When Yosef sent word with the brothers back to his father Yaakov that he was okay, Yaakov could not believe them. He didn't believe their words. It wasn't until the brothers showed Yaakov the agalot, the wagons that Yosef sent when Yaakov's spirit was finally revived. As it says, when they related to him all the words that Yosef spoke unto, unto them, he saw the wagons that Yosef sent, and the spirit of Yaakov was revived. Rashi teaches us that this was the moment that God's presence returned to Yaakov after 20 years of spiritual exile. What was it about seeing those wagons that was so special? Rashi writes that the wagons, the agalot in Hebrew, were actually a sign that Yosef sent back to his father Yaakov. A sign that signaled the last Torah topic that Yaakov and Yosef had studied together 20 years earlier, namely Egla, the topic of Egla Arufa, 
related to the word agala. Egla, rufa, or axed calf is the subject of the murder on the outskirts of town. Who is responsible for this individual who was murdered? This was a fitting topic for Yosef, who, in a sense, was murdered on the outskirts. Rashi insists that the agalot, the wagons, were a hint to the Torah that Yaakov and Yosef had learned together all those years ago. Now, to be sure, these comments of the Midrash do not reflect a surface reading of the verses. But the Midrash does shed light on a deeper aspect of the verse. What was it that revived the spirit of Yaakov after so many years? What brought God's presence back to him? It was the sign that Yosef sent, telling his father, I'm still a man of the Torah. Yosef was not merely alive physically. He was alive spiritually, connected to the Devar Hashem, the Word of God. Rav Chaim Velazhin was a great 19th century rabbi. He founded the famed Velazhin Yeshiva, and he was also a leading student of the Vilna Gon, and his great work was the Nefesh HaChaim. And therein he quotes a Midrash in which King David makes an interesting request from Hashem. David, our rabbis tell us, prayed to God that a person who reads the book of Tehillim should be considered as one who is occupied with the study of Torah, such as the Mishnah tractates of Negayim and Ohalot. Now let's try to unpack this. Tehillim is a book filled with words of calling out to God in all times, be it joy or distress. The Mishnah, written down generations after David, is the oral Torah, given to us at Sinai. David was unsure if his words of prayer could be considered as great as learning the highly technical aspects of the oral Torah, such as these tractates dealing with ritual purity and impurity. He asked God for this gift. Let the reader of Tehillim be as great as one who studies the Mishnah. Now, there seems to be an underlying assumption here, and that is that recital of Tehillim is not necessarily as great as the study of the oral Torah. What's behind this? One of the tractates mentioned here is Ohalot, Tense, the very Mishnah that many of us are learning as part of the Mishnah Yomi program these days. And these Mishnahites are classic parts of our oral Torah. They help us chart out and define our spiritual world. We know that an Ohel, an enclosure, conveys tuma impurity if there's a dead body within it. But what is considered an Ohel? What is a tent? What is a dead body? What about a grave? Or what about someone who's in the throes of death? These are questions that we ask throughout the Mishnah, the Torah Shabbat Peh, the Oral Torah. We recite the Shema at night, but what's considered night? And what are the paragraphs of Shema anyways? At the heart of the Oral Torah and Jewish law is this. God gave us a Torah which provides parameters. And these parameters, these measuring sticks, teach us the precise measurements of how to create a holy world a world in which we meet God. Where do we find ritual impurity and purity? How do we build a mikvah? When exactly do we recite the Shema? It's one thing to have faith in your heart. It's quite another to say, Me'ematai korin es Shema ba'arvin. From when do we recite Shema in the evenings? The Torah gives us concrete actions and guidelines through which we express our beliefs. As the sun rises or sets, we look to see if we have fulfilled the reading of Shema. When a person reads Tehillim, they get a glimpse of how David clung to God, and great as that is, there's something that's perhaps even more central to the Jewish experience. It's the experience of learning Torah, 
the experience of looking at every aspect of the world, time, food, business, human conversation, you name it. The study of the oral Torah has two dimensions. On one level, we're engaging the Brit, the covenant with, with Hashem, and at the same time, we're also seeking out that place where God's presence can be found in this world. On Ten Tevet, we mourn how the Babylonians surrounded Jerusalem and ultimately destroyed the base of Mikdash. And the whole idea that underlies the Mikdash, the temple, is that we build and create dimensions in this world to form a meeting place with God. God's voice does emanate in this world, but we need to create that space, the parameters where we touch and we sense that voice. It doesn't happen in a vacuum or a void. And the halacha of Torah, Torah learning, provides these parameters. As Jews, we have faith and we have amunah. But there's something unique about the Jewish experience. What was it that revived the spirit of Yaakov? The foundation of our spiritual experience is the Torah. We Jews are a tiny percentage of the world. It's natural that we look at ourselves through the lens of what's happening out there. For example, as we observe the 10th of Tevet, the world around us is engaged in the 25th of December. And in light of this, it's critical that we don't define ourselves by what we are not, but rather by what we are. We are a spiritual people. Vatechi Ruach Yaakov, the spirit of Yaakov, was revived and it's unique. It's a spirit where we believe in and we speak to God, but our essence is also Shema Yisrael, Shimu Devar Hashem, listen to the words of God. Studying the words of Torah guides us to see the dimensions of precisely where we meet God in this world. And because of that, The study of Torah itself is a deeply spiritual experience. Moshe teaches us that the words of Torah are like drips of rain that sustain sustain us. It drips spirit within us. The spirituality of Judaism is an encompassing thing. There are 63 tractates in the Mishnah encompassing every aspect of human life, from farming to the clothing we wear. And there's so many different types of people around us seeking spiritual experience, be they Christians or practitioners of Eastern religions. But as Jews, we have a unique spiritual experience. On one level, we learn the Torah because the words of Torah themselves are a brit, a covenant. They help us connect with a deeper dimension of our world. And these words of Torah infuse our lives. I was thinking about this the other day in our Sunday morning Gemara here. We were learning the Gemara and talking about why we light Shabbat candles, and we learned that even flicking on a light on Friday afternoon before the sun sets fulfills a deep concept of bringing shalom into our homes on Shabbat, shalom bayit. This mundane act, lighting a candle, flicking on a light, suddenly becomes deeper through the Torah. And in light of this, every one of us, whoever we are, we can all find a part of the Torah to engage with, be it the study of Tanakh or Pirkei Avot, or an English book on halacha, engage in the learning, and we need to try to see how the study of Torah translates into our lives. It's not merely an academic pursuit. Look to see where the Torah is guiding you to bring God's presence in your life. As you do so, the words of Torah will be life-giving, like drips of rain. And as you engage, you will find the words of Torah rebuild and revive the Ruach of Yisrael, 
the spirit of the Jewish people that is inside of you.